Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. I am beyond excited to welcome my friend Hannah Bauer to our podcast today. Hannah and I met on Instagram, and we have two kids the exact same age. In fact, all three of us on this call today have kids the exact same age. Hannah is a straight-up fitness celebrity, but what makes her truly inspiring to me is her story of overcoming incredible hardship. She's battled through a career-ending gymnastic injury, a car accident that almost killed her, and terrible sexual abuse. Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time with us today to share your story in the hopes of helping other women. Lexi and I know it's really difficult to discuss, so we're going to follow your lead and we're just going to have a conversation with whatever you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I'm honored and um, I'm excited to see where this combo takes us. Um, I, I think there's can be a very dark and heavy subject, but I think there's a lot of growth and hope um, through talking about some of our deepest scars. So we'll see where it goes. Um, I I, exactly just how in depth I'll go. Um, I've never truly opened up about this aspect of my life besides just the simple, I've been sexually abused. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, Well, it's uh, incredibly strong of you to, make the decision, I guess, to decide to open up about this. And maybe that's like a good place to start of like, what's kind of been your, you know, your moment of, and you just spoke a little bit before we came on about it, but um, of you deciding that you wanted to start to share your story um, in a little more in depth, like you said. Yeah. So um, I knew on my Instagram page that I wanted to someday talk about it because I don't think people realize everything that, how often sexual abuse happens. Um, and even detecting your own sexual abuse can be very conflicting and confusing. Um, as a lot of survivors can be in denial about what actually happened. Um, cause I think society depicts rape and certain sexual abuses as, um, movie depictions, fighting off someone saying no, you know, like, being aggressive towards not towards someone pursuing you when rape and sexual abuse and other um assaults can be very less I guess um violent it's all violent but I I'm trying to get across that it can be less physical in the sense of like what movies portray as sexual abuses um so I'll just kind of set the stage of my situation, because I think it'll go into explaining the emotional toll and the identity crisis I had with it. Um, I grew up in a pretty conservative home. My dad gave me a promise ring when I was 13 years old um, to wait till marriage, um, that sex was a beautiful thing and to save it to somebody that deserved that piece of me. And somehow through the years, that kind of just became a little bit of my identity of, oh, I'm going to wait till marriage. I have to wait till marriage. Um, 
you know, it's, it's something that I really wanted. And then at the same time, I always wanted, every girl wants a boyfriend or to be loved. So through high school, I always wanted a boyfriend, but I was that girl that never got one. So I was always looking for a boyfriend, I guess you could say. And when I went to college, um, I, I got played really hard and had my first heartbreak. And so I was really vulnerable. Um, and that led me to my second trimester of someone at my college that was kind of a big shot. And he was a senior and he knew I was kind of a vulnerable freshman and like was flirting with me. And I was like, oh my God, big shot, this, this person. And um, I knew right away he, he really had one agenda in the beginning. And, but I didn't care in a sense because I, I just loved that validation of feeling wanted. Even if I knew deep down it wasn't maybe for the right reasons. But ironically, over time, this person became a really kind of good friend of mine. But it was a very toxic, manipulative situation that as a young 18-year-old, I didn't quite grasp. Um, it was, he had a girlfriend and then he would tell me he wasn't with his girlfriend anymore. And be like, I want to be with you. You're my girl. Um, and he knew I wanted to wait till marriage and would always joke like, when can I get that V card? Um, and it always just became like this. No, like that's off limits. You know that, but you know, like, I think some, this is where it gets so vulnerable because everyone will be looking out on the outside and like, girl, there's so many red flags. Like, how did you not see those? And it's almost like I recognize them, but I justified them because I so badly saw some good in this person that they could change, that I could change them or that they could be there and be a good person. And um, they respected me and actually really did care for me. It was like, I was holding on so hard to that piece of hope that all of the toxicity and the manipulation was swept under the rug. Um, and we had this relationship for two or three years to the point, like in many ways, I thought he did care for me, like simple things like him calling me baby girl, or even paying for my damn lunch. Like I thought that was like, the, he cared for me he's paying for my lunch and doesn't pay for other people's, you know, he invited me over. Like he doesn't, he doesn't play me like other people. I'm different, you know, but at the same time, he'd go back and forth with his girlfriend and me and would lie to me in this constant manipulation. But I fell for him. Like I really, really liked him. Um, and then I had, so fast forward, it was just constant, this, this constant manipulation of him just always joking, when am I going to get that B card? And it was always a joke. Um, but I never truly thought he was super serious about it. Um, and then fast forward a little bit to me having my elbow accident and I, within an instant lost my career working so hard of earning my spot back onto the team, um, proving myself, proving my worth as an athlete and it was gone in a blink. And so, um, there was a lot of toxicity around like some of my teammates and even my roommates. And so my parents decided to pull the plug when I went back home for Christmas that, Hey, we're not going to let you go back to school. It's not healthy for you. You're going to come back home in Colorado and go and finish out at CSU. So I had finished out at CSU. So I'm already going through an identity crisis um, with losing my sport, losing my friends and my hard work and kind of feeling like, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm not an athlete anymore. Because a lot of athletes, you'll understand this, identify as their sport. It's like who they are. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then I just started. And I, there was a huge gaping hole in my heart. I had never once really drank alcohol and I started partying and drinking and coping with the loss of my sport and then looking for reasons to feel good. So I would look for guys, but I, I 
I had never done much sexually with them because that was all they were looking for. So in a sense, I wasn't attracting the right men because I was seeking to be liked, but all those men were really looking for one night stands. So all my experiences towards men were them just wanting something sexually from me. That just started becoming like the norm. Um, And even doing things that were forced sexually, that wasn't sex, but oral sex or, you know, um, foreplay was kind of being forced upon me, even though I didn't want to, but at the same time I was getting attention. Um, And then every single guy that I would kind of start to fall for, I would eventually find had a girlfriend and I was a side piece. So then it was like this worth issue of, damn, am I really not even worth anything for it to be a girl? Cause they would always say, Oh no, you're my number one girl. You're my baby girl. Like, but every time I'd ask for a title or, you know, a girlfriend, it was always swept under the rug. Like, Oh, I don't want a title. We don't need a title. And that, there was five or six or seven guys like that and lead to one of the guys that had been talking to for about a year, wouldn't commit. I was DDing for them at a party. And I re- this, I was head over heels for this guy and I'm driving and they're in the backseat and there's a girl all over him um, in front of me in my car. And so I was texting his friend, Hey, like, am I being played here again? You know, like, why is he letting her all over him? And because I was texting and driving, I rolled my car off a cliff up in the mountains with people oh in the back. Wow. Um, oh my, God. my car rolled <laughs> like four times down a ravine and I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. My forehead, oh my, my forehead smashed the front of the car. My head smashed the side of my car. Glass shattered everywhere. Things flew out the car. Um, oh my God. I had a concussion at the time. I was more like panic, like, oh my God, I could have just killed these people. Um, and we left. <laughs> Everyone in the backseat was drunk. So like, oh, it's fine. We'll just get the car in the morning and go pick it up. <laughs> we didn't realize We didn't realize how severe, <laughs> severe it was. I had a major concussion, but everyone was raging and celebrating for graduation that no one really picked up that what had really happened. Um, so we go the next morning. My phone was kind of dead. I finally charge it. It's like probably noon. Call my parents and they picked up right away and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, like you're alive. You're okay. What had happened was the police found my car in the ditch, the ravine and said, hey, uh, Mr. Bauer, Mrs. Hall, your daughter's car is completely total, but she is nowhere to be found. So they had put a missing report on me, um, just canceled all the credit cards and things like that looking for me because they thought I was dead or a crash or something happened. So we went to the police station. They took, you know, like I'm getting interrogated because what had happened was a felony. Leaving this crime, the scene of your car of a crash is a, is a big no, no. I didn't know that. I was naively and ignorant, didn't, didn't know because it was my crash. No one was involved, but us, we were all okay. So I thought I, I genuinely didn't know that was an issue. Um, everything had flown out and they gave me a bag back of all the stuff that I had. And it was, um, I have been diagnosed with ADHD. So I had some Adderall pills, but they were in a bag. So they weren't actually in the prescription. And then they gave me my magnetic key. Cause you guys, I know I'm kind of a dit sometimes. And I would always lock my keys out of my car. So I had a magnetic, um, key underneath my left rear fender and they gave me that back. And then my wallet, cause everything else had just shattered outside besides the open alcohol that was in there and other things. So not only did they tell me that I was being charged with drugs, felony for leaving the crime scene, reckless and endangerment, and then um, open alcohol drinking in the car. <laughs> um, they also wanted to know, like, 
what was happening, if there was anyone else involved. And it was a really kind of not good situation. Um, but when they handed me back, this is the one thing that kind of started making me shift my eyes a little bit is I had an angel, you know, those silly bands on the wrists that they used to, everyone used to wear. They were like rubber. I had an angel cross and a Christian fish on my dashboard. And when they gave me back the, just the baggy things I could found in that magnetic key, I opened it. There was the angel in that key case. And I asked him, I said, okay, did you guys put this in here? Because there is no way that inside the car, these angels could have gotten underneath my car in this magnetic case. And they said, no, ma'am, it is a crime scene. We just pick up what was found and put it in this baggie. So that was my, um, whether someone's religious or not, that knew that like, yo, wake up and stop having pity for yourself, for your um, gymnastics, for what you're going through. And you need to make change because I was severely depressed. I had anxiety um, and I just eating disorders, all of those things were just rampaging high mm-hmm. so about, um, so after this, I had gone, my friend, the, my friend that was always talking to me back at, um, Nebraska was in Colorado. Um, he was training and he asked me to come out with him. So I had gone out with him. They were drinking, had just ditched me all night. It was with two of my girlfriends. We waited until 3am until he finally called me like, Hey, do you want to hang out now? And me. We're supposed to hang out way earlier. And I was like, yes, like obviously, because I hadn't seen him in a long time. And um he he they were drinking and then he called me over and brought me to a f- closet in a room. And of course, was just doing what he normally did, pushed me to do things I never really wanted to do, but I accepted them because it was something to feel, I guess, and wanting to be wanted. And he had never crossed the boundaries before in that night. Um that night he didn't. He he joked that it, what he wasn't doing what I thought he was doing, and um, even though it felt icky and wrong, I just shut down. And then the next morning, um, he made me or that night he made me sleep on the ground while he slept in the bed. And then I woke up the next morning, left with my girlfriends, and he texted me and he did a winky face saying, "Finally got that weed card," and I shat. Oh, my identity, everything, because I. I it, when you, when you have a relationship with someone that's so manipulative and toxic and you believe what they say, um, I didn't believe, it. I didn't think that was happening. So it felt like it was my fault. I ruined myself. My, I, I was broken. Um, I couldn't believe what had happened. And so I, um, I went into even worse depression and anxiety. Um, okay. Thank you for sharing this. Yeah. 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 But what's sad is I blamed, I blamed myself Um, because what person would want to be with a person that was obviously manipulative, but at the same time, you knew they cared for you and you saw good in them, but they're really not a good person. You justify their actions. And so, um, my anxiety disorders lead with me to play with my hair and things like that. And it got really bad. So my parents put me in therapy because um, I was on antidepressants and just battling not only weight gain and eating disorders and loss of an athlete, my, my failing grades. And um, more importantly, I just, I was broken, completely shattered. I went to therapy and the first time I opened up about it in therapy, because no one knew, I didn't tell anybody, she fell asleep. 
what yeah oh my gosh it's like yawned and f- fell asleep during the first time I opened about it which already validated um that that parts of me that felt like I was over exaggerating you know it was my fault it's really not a big deal um obviously it's not worthy of a story because it's not you know I put my therapist to sleep um so I didn't talk I'm and then um, every guy after that I talked to, there was a couple more instances where they had tried having sex and I would break down crying and I'd be triggered. And then they would get mad and angry and you'd kick me out. So any experience I had with a male was negative. Um, and it, it happened one other time. Um, cause I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. Um, cause I'll come back to, I'll, I'll tie this in in a second. I remember, um, meeting the love of my life, Josh. And everything was perfect. My trust issues, the, the things that brought me anxiety with men, there was none of that. Um, and he was getting ready to engage. And I knew that. And I was talking to my mom and she goes, what's going on with you? You know, like what's, what's going on? And I had this thing in my mind that if I was supposed to marry Josh, I'd want to have sex with him. I'd want to be touched and all these things. And I started pushing Josh away a little bit because I was so confused, like, he can't be the one if I'm not wanting to be touched. And I finally broke down to my mom crying and she, she made a lot of dots of like, this explains a lot about your behaviors over the past years of, you know, what you're doing. Um, and they encouraged me to go to therapy and it's called the blue bench. And this is, if you're not, cause therapy can be expensive and insurance won't cover it. And there's a, an organization called blue bench. Um, it's free and you pay what you can. And I started therapy and um, I stopped going about two years ago, but I was in therapy for about three years with this organization and my blinders just came off. Um, They stuck me with someone that matched and there was things that I thought was really gross and icky that was going on with me, like identity confusion or like um, very disturbing thoughts while having sex in order to get off or um, just just things that made me feel icky were very, very normal and trauma driven. There's a lot of things that trauma can do with sexual victims, um, like denial and um, thinking maybe they're they're gay or lesbian or things that um, hypersexuality, hyposexuality that can can manifest from trauma if you don't work it through. So all of these things that I felt just crazy for were starting to make sense because it wasn't my natural behavior. It was a symptom of trauma. Um, and then I realized that I had been sexually abused three other times that I didn't even know about because of the mindset that I was in. And it's very easy. The body identifies adrenaline, but sometimes it doesn't know the difference between good adrenaline and bad adrenaline. And that's why sexual victims I don't want to say victims, sexual survivors can find themselves in very similar situations over and over. Um, and then I had found out I was sexually abused as a child through therapy that I had no idea was sexual abuse until I was just opening up about situations that I, my, my mind had blocked out. Um, and so there was, there was a lot of dark emotions and a lot of digging out the closet and a lot of healing and, um, forgiveness that I needed to work through. And that was not easy, Um, but it was so entirely worth it. And the growth and the healing and who I am today is based largely on 
all of the tragic and terrible things that have happened to me. Um, do I, do I regret having them happen to me now? No. Um, because I, I wouldn't have the compassion and empathy and heart that I have now if it didn't. So that's kind of everything in a nutshell. And I'm sure you guys have questions that we can deeper in from there. Thank you. That's a lot, Anna. That's a lot. I just wish I could reach through this screen as I look at you and give you a big hug. And I think everyone listening is going to feel the same way. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's so and, common. And, and, and this is the yeah. scary thing, isn't it? That, that this is, I think a lot of women have experienced something similar, but we push it down, don't we? We say, oh no, that, that wasn't me. I don't want to have to identify as a person who has suffered from sexual abuse, right? There's a, almost like a cognitive dissonance there. And then the, the, the hate that can come with actually talking about your experience, because people will be like, well, why did you press charges? Or mm. why did you... Or why didn't you push them off? There's all of these blaming the victim. <laughs> yeah, that they 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 it's gaslighting. That most why would I want to relive a situation and talk about it when all you're going to tell me is that didn't happen? And did that happen to you? Did people to have people told you that, Hannah? Well, my my I had what I opened up to a few close friends about it, and they were like they they didn't take it seriously. And then that was right after my therapist session because I was looking for validation that what had happened to me was wrong, mm-hmm. that it wasn't my fault and that what had mm-hmm. happened was not okay. Um, and I didn't get that. And so it just, it, it perpetuated this, this um, guilt trip and depression and it was my fault. And I put myself in that situation and I didn't do A, B, and C, and so technically wasn't rape, and it wasn't this, and um, I believed that, but that just, that buried me alive, Um, because part of me, like, setting the scene is I wrapped my identity on waiting till marriage for the man that deserved it, and so losing your virginity to someone in that situation just felt tainted, I felt broken, disgusting, like any, any negative emotion you connect with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It chains with me all the time. Yeah. It sounds like you had a lot of like self blame, even though it was never your fault, which I think a lot of people feel. And that's one of the reasons that oftentimes no one talks about it or shares it. And you were strong enough to, you know, tell some of your friends and, go to therapy early on. And unfortunately it didn't at that time go, you know, fear. Um, and it's a valid fear. I will say that it took me over two years to tell my full story to my therapist. But once I was able to tell, like I, I, I personally wanted to do in detail of everything that had happened because I wanted her to get like this full picture and setting the scene of detail by detail and the words she started crying just that alone seeing the raw emotion of my therapist doing that and then getting angry doesn't say anything hugs me and she goes what he did was wrong and I am so sorry and that was she goes yes your your feelings of being raped happened and Hannah I, I'm here to tell you that you were raped more than once and she goes you were beautiful and strong and not broken and that was like the healing or just I just needed someone to 
to emphasize and validate mm-hmm. what I felt happened to me was true in Bear Pie. And that was that was like the, the huge step to healing that I needed and making progress. And then finally just like taking this tight knot in my belly and tethering it from piece by piece and just disintegrating it. And then I had a very supportive fiance and husband that would come to therapy with me and work through it with me and was willing to go to therapy to learn what it's like to be in a victim's mind. And that is so important is whether your spouse or having someone in your circle help you through it because you can't Mm -hmm. do it. Um, And so I just want to encourage people that the first step in telling your story or being um, in a room with someone is, is telling your story. And then that's when healing can start happening. Sharing it and bringing someone along with you that you trust. Is that, you know, and for me, that's how I started my healing journey and someone Mm -hmm. made that way but being able to talk about what happened uh, is a form of trauma release and it, there was ways I did artwork there was artwork I did to because sometimes I couldn't explain how I was feeling so I have all of these artworks at home for me drawing and it was so cool because I would draw my emotion and then we would talk about it and it would come full circle of how I needed to heal it was very very cool like the, that was very healing for me um and then there was yoga. I did yoga with a group of other women that were in the same boat. And it, there's thousand and one ways that therapists can help you through your trauma, specifically for you. Um, and that's why I encourage someone to go see a therapist or like a, an organization that specializes in big sexual trauma because they have all the tools to specifically help you with what you're going through. Oh, such important. great advice. Ooh, this is this is probably I would say the most Such important and the most important episode I think we've probably ever done in my opinion in terms of of women knowing Absolutely. it's not their fault that 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 is wrong and also I believe you right like the whole kind of making sure that you know there's so much psychologically and I, my major in university was was like and I'm not saying that I mean I'm an ex I'm not an expert but I do know enough to know that you know there's something that happens in your brain where you can convince yourself of things that, you know, did or didn't happen. Your brain is a powerful, Mm -hmm. powerful thing to protect you psychologically. Right. A lot of trauma victims won't even remember aspects. Their brain physically like blocks out memory. Um, So that can make really confusing. Like I remember going back and we had to work through timelines. It took like seven therapies, like seven weeks of me doing a timeline of everything that happened because even in my brain now, it's still kind of muddled of like the timelines of everything that happened and it's not my fault. Um, it's simply just trauma. And I think from outside perspectives, people like look at that as a, like a, a sign of lying or people mm-hmm. or I happened because it's, it's like in court cases or whatever, it doesn't always line up. And mm-hmm. that's the tragic part, you know, about it because a lot of times it's out of their control. Totally. <laughs> um, really interesting week after week we would do a rent out timeline and then each week I would kind of remember something else that had happened that I had completely had blocked out and that was it was able to piece together a timeline um from it and it went into this whole generational trauma that can be passed down and it was there's some really cool things you can get into but um yeah so was the catalyst for you in your recovery 
would you say like a catalyst was that moment that you already described when the therapist just started to hold you and say, this was wrong, you were raped, it's not your fault? There was a couple catalysts. The first one was making the decision to call and make an appointment, but not just call, but show up. Because mm-hmm. I made an appointment and then I didn't show up. And then I finally made another appointment and I did go. Um, and I only went because Josh walked me into the room and sat there with me. Um, and then that was, so that was a turning point. And then the real turning point in like the real healing aspects was um, telling my story in detail and being validated with what had happened. Um, because, and also with therapy, like they start, you, you will talk about whatever you want to talk about. They don't force you to talk about anything else. Mm. Um, you gradually start opening up with more things you're ready for. And even if it's about everyday life, because trauma can dictate how you respond to different stressors in your life and impact work and all of these other things that tease into it. So I kind of had started there and then it kind of, we worked towards the more intricate things. That was the, the true thorn that was keeping my wounds open. Mm-hmm. And so in, I mean, you're so, successful in what you do and what you, and like the fact you've had this trauma in your life and you've turned it into what you have now in your life that you live every day. What, like, how is now, like, what's your living now with that, that being your past and you saying like, it's so strong to reflect on it and say, you know, that you don't, you don't wish it didn't happen because you're so strong and all of that has made you who you are today. So what's like the now for you? So I'm going to, this is why I decided to come on here and talk about it. I actually didn't think I was going to cry. So obviously there is still <laughs> work to be done in a sense. Um, I, I am in a place where certain triggers don't get to me. So like, for instance, um, the person's sport used to trigger me seeing any sport related stuff or, um, cause they were an athlete as well. So their sport used to trigger me. Um, the color of their skin kind of used to trigger me. Anyone that kind of looked alike them, um, for the longest time would affect my daily life and I would spiral into anxiety or depression or get emotionally. I would, I tend to bottle things and I would emotionally shut down. Um, but now I'm in a place where none of those triggers more. Um, sorry, my phone did a sign. Am I still here? Yes, you are. Yeah. You're good. Um, None of those triggers bother me on an everyday life. Like if I see it, I can't, I mean, it's like, um, I have this, like, sh- I like to call it like my protection shield. And before they'd be able to come in and stab me and it would hurt. But now it's like, I have this protection shield bubble where they, these triggers can come in and they just get deflected off. And I'm able to continue on with my day. Um, if it was a hard day, obviously certain triggers or things can happen. Um, but it, it's, it's more so just, it's not who I am, but it is a foundation to, to what I struggle with daily. I don't think any survivor is going to be able to just walk out in life and never affect them because it's there. It's a part of you. Right. So it just depends on how deeply it affects you that day or if it doesn't, and you just keep moving forward and they give you, everybody has coping mechanisms for any kind of stress or they experience in life or anxiety, or if they have, um, a mental disorder or something, you have toolboxes to, to battle those and being a sexual survivor is no different. Um, it's always a work in progress. There's good days and bad days, but I am in a place now where it doesn't debilitate me and affect me for days or even weeks. Um, I can just talk about it openly and, and 
I, I'll be okay. You're amazing. Your strength honestly. is like oh. incredible. And I love the protective shield. Yeah. Everyone needs a protective shield. Like that is incredible. I we have that. joked, even the two of us, just with being on social media and, and you know, dealing with the haters because there's, there's the bigger you get. And I'm learning this slowly, but surely the more yeah. people you're going to start to piss off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and you're like, girl, you just got to get some alligator skin. <laughs> you said that one time and I was like, oh my God, Hannah, you're my idol. You're right. I do. Right. Um, and I love that. Like, I just, I love that. I, I really wanted to do this interview with you because a, I love you. I just, I love you to bits and you are such a, a light and an inspiration for so many, so many women. And I, I venture to say that if someone were to quickly go and look at your Instagram field, you know, or feed, for instance, they're not going to know what you've been through. They're going to mm-hmm. have this preconceived notion that you've got this perfect life, this perfect privileged life and your perfect family and have no idea what you've had to overcome and I just think it's so beautiful that you are taking time out of your day, getting emotional, which I know is so draining. And I really hope mm-hmm. that when we hang up this call, you don't feel drained. <laughs> I hope you you know that you are going to be helping so many women just by sharing your story. Well, Nikki, I, um, I told Josh when you had originally asked me, I said, because he knows it's been, I've been going back and forth of when I wanted to share, even for the past couple of years. And I said, I think now is the time to finally share my story. Um, because it's Nikki and I trust, you know, I trust you. I was like, this will be a safe place to finally be able to tell my story um, and begin that journey because the statistics show it's one in four women, but I know it's, it's more than that. Um, And that's, what's devastating. And I don't think many women realize that when you don't address trauma and what can happen to you, how crippling, um, it can be, I kind of think of it as just a constant thorn in your shoe and it's painful and you can go numb on it and then you step really hard and then that dagger hits you even sharper and they don't realize the constant heartache that it's bringing them. And I, if anything anyone gets from this podcast is it's do not be afraid to go seek help and talk to someone um, because that's the road to healing and that's the road to really blossoming and just becoming who you need to be and who you are and your past does not dictate who you are or your worth or what you've done because um a few of my girlfriends were survivors and they felt like their behaviors after their trauma completely made them quote-unquote unworthy because of how many partners they had left with post but it was a sign of their trauma they became hypersexual and there is nothing wrong with that it's a form of their trauma and that's okay. And I think people need to understand that um, everyone handles trauma differently and they cope differently and you need to respect that. And um, however you handle it, it's okay. So like you're so strong. Thank you so much for sharing your strength and truly what Nikki said, you are like a light and it's yeah you you shine incredibly bright and we're so grateful for you to come on and Nikki said it and like I got goosebumps because the amount of lives you'll change truly is unbelievable so your your vulnerability is unbelievable and we're so grateful that you came on to share this with us 
And it's so great to meet you. <laughs> and your empathy and just I know. You're, you're constantly giving, Hannah. You're constantly giving. You're giving away like free exercises. You're also giving away, <laughs> you know, like you're giving away more than that. You're giving your time. You're giving your energy. You're giving your, your light. And I really hope that essentially you being able to shine such a bright light after going through what you've gone through gives other women permission to do the same. I hope so. Everyone gets to shine bright. They deserve to. So. I feel like we live in a society that doesn't want women to shine. And I think, I think we can change. Well, you're doing an amazing thing to change that. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at we go there podcast and check out we go there podcast.com for more info.